This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com. Welcome to All the Social Ladies with CEO of Likeable Media, Carrie Kerpin. Now, Carrie Kerpin. So when I think about one of the best social campaigns I've ever seen, I think about when the Cubs won the World Series. And Budweiser was able to produce a video in real time that showed the original announcer calling the game. Of course, he's long gone, but they were able to pull old footage and actually recreate the game calling experience. How did they do it? Well, I want you to take a listen to Lisa Weiser, who's the Senior Director of U.S. Marketing Communications at Anheuser-Busch. She's going to tell you that story, which is an unbelievable story. And she's also going to tell you all about her incredible career. Take a listen. Welcome, Lisa, to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. I am so excited to have you here. And you know, obviously, I was just quelling over your amazing, amazing work with the World Series, unbelievable work for Budweiser. Yes, thank you. I'm I'm recovering myself from Ooh. what was a very busy week and uh, early morning hours. Wow. Well, we can't wait to get there on that story. But before we get there, I really want to know about you. And I, I've read up on your career. I love the variety of the story and, and kind of how you got to where you are. So why don't you tell our listeners about that today? Sure. Um, well, I've listened to your your show before, and it seems like a lot of people say the same thing, that they didn't necessarily start out with a plan. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, they just kind of went where the current took them. Um, and mine is kind of the same. I actually mm-hmm. started out um, wanting to be a communications professor. Um, wow. Went to get my master's degree with the intent to go on to get my PhD. Um, and while I was in that process, I started studying under a professor who was a consultant. Um, and this was, you know, in the late 90s, yep. to date myself, um, when um, the consulting, management consulting was kind of all the range and yep. all the rage. And I had some friends that were out there doing it. And, um, you know, he really kind of got me into the notion of organizational consulting and kind of communication communications within um, a business setting. And um, so instead of going on to get that PhD, I actually went out into the business world um, to what is now Accenture, was Anderson Consulting at the time. Uh, So that's where I began my career. And it was actually a really great place to start. Um, because when you're a consultant, you really kind of learn how to hone in and become a subject matter expert yourself and, yep. um, you know, be able to apply that to a multitude of businesses and situations. Um, so and also just to work with it, work with a team in an environment that is pretty competitive and fast paced. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually have a question about this that could be kind of a dumb question, but I want to know you. You'll, I know you'll give it to me straight. So when you're when you're coming out of school and you go into this consultant role, I always think of this and like when I watch movies about the people who go straight into consulting, like I'm like, how do they know, you know, what to do? They're right out of school there. Did you have to kind of gear up your inner confidence to go out and do it? Or is it like they just train you and it's a machine and you feel ready to go and rock? 
You know, it's funny because I feel like we all start out maybe a little bit too confident in our career. <laughs> Interesting. On the consultant side. Oh, on all sides. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, you know, I work with a lot of people that are right out of school now. And yep. um, when I was first got into consulting, um, when I had my first performance review, uh, some of the best feedback that I got that still to this day, more than 15 years later, is the most valuable is someone said to me, you know, you're very smart. You have a lot to say. You don't have to say it all in every room, every wow. time. And basically kind of told me, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of other, you know, great minds in this room. And especially at this stage of your, of your career, kind of, you know, zip it and listen. And, you know, that stung for a second, but I really took it to heart. And Ooh, I've taken one of the best pieces of advice probably to heart ever, ever since. Gotten. So yeah, I think a lot of people do come out of school really confident, really hungry, um, feeling like they have a lot to add. And the real lesson is to enter an environment and realize that you never want to be the smartest person in the room or feel like the smartest person in the room. I've really, you know, since that time really tried to seek out places where I always felt like I had a lot to learn mm. from everybody around me. And when you stop feeling that way, that's when you know it's probably time to move on. I love that. Okay. So you went into the consulting role and then what happened next? Um, I was in the consulting role um, for nearly six years wow. and Accenture was a great place to work and a lot happened at that time. You know, 9-11 happened at that mm. time. Enron happened at that time. Mm. Anderson Consulting rebranded itself to Accenture yeah. following um, kind of the Enron situation that was um, involving one of their kind of yes, sister of course, agencies. And, you know, the times just really started to change. Yeah. Um, yeah, social and the internet was really just starting to, you know, truly come online and enter the business world. Yep. Um, and, um, you know, uh, after, after doing that, that work for several years in two different locations, I had been moved from Chicago to Denver, wow. um, worked on different business, um, work. And I decided I wanted to really try to work in house. I mm. think when you, um, when you do consulting or any kind of agency kind of client service work, um, you learn so much and it's so rewarding, but you never truly own the full process, the full result yes. uh, for the long term. So I really felt at that point, like, you know, I wanted to go in-house and own things more, but I also really realized I wanted to be kind of a, a marketing communications professional and that I had a lot to learn. I had mm. never written a press release. I had never, you know, really worked closely with the media. Yep. Um, I had worked on a lot of big change management projects, but I hadn't done some of those other things that my friends at PR some agencies of the, had just done. Just the basics. Right. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. And um, so I did something um, that I actually recommend a lot of people should do in their career, which is I went in-house um, at a smaller job. It was a Fortune 500 company, but one that probably a lot of people haven't heard of. And um, I, I went in-house in a small team where I basically owned everything, internal communications, external communications, change management, marketing videos, executive support. Yeah. So I really spent about two years learning how to everything. do everything well enough. Wow. Um, you know, uh, so I was working with the press. I was writing press releases, but I was also, you know, powdering the executive's bald head for yes, a photo yes, shoot for yes, yes. a magazine, you know. Um, but I was also working on big change management projects. I was writing the annual report. So I was really touching all different touch points of communications and marketing um, for the company, which was a family-owned company. It was actually one of the largest home builders in the U.S. Wow. Um, so, you know, uh, but a brand name that isn't necessarily a, a house name. Yes. Um, but uh, that was a great experience because I really did learn how to do everything, um, which is something that, you know, if you don't have that at a certain point in your career, it's hard to go back and get that. And it helps you also figure out 
what you like. I love that. So you recommend to people in their careers taking a job that might be a little more broader in scope so that you can learn to do lots of different things. Yeah, if that's the way that it takes you, um, you know, that's where it took me. And if you haven't already received that at some point in your career, depending on where you started, I think for me, since I had gotten a master's degree before I entered the workforce, and then I went right into kind of a consulting situation, I never really had the chance to be an intern, you know, or to be kind of low man on the totem pole at an agency. And it's important to do. And it is important to know. And, and I, and I, I did things all up and down the ladder in that job. It wasn't just menial stuff. I mean, it was certainly working and supporting, um, you know, the CEO, Yeah, but I was doing the annual reports. You're doing all of that. Sure. But I was writing scripts for marketing videos and I just, you know, I got to run all over and kind of see what I liked. And that's where I really honed in that I liked the marketing things. And I really felt ready, um, you know, to work on larger brands. Um, but I also found that I missed the pace of, um, client service, which is what led me back in into that world, moving to a PR agency, um, one of the big ones at Fleischman Hillard, where I spent um, the next six years Love um, and grew my career um, from an account supervisor up to an SVP wow. in that role, um, working primarily on AT&T. Wow. Um, several big clients like Visa and General Motors, but AT&T was my kind of dedicated client. And you and were at uh, AT&T at a pretty pivotal point in time. I was. I think that is really what like, was a game changer for me mm-hmm. um, because um, I, I hit it at a time where mobile was exploding, internet was exploding, um, and uh, I was able to help launch the first generation iPhone, um, which you know was a fantastic experience from a kind of brand launch. Um, and I was also doing it at the time that you know they were you know just getting into social, and I was able to help them launch and voice their social media ch- you know channels by myself. Um, you actually didn't you launch their first Twitter account? I did. Amazing. I did. Um, and it is a great story. Um, you know, I was in. I was actually running their newsroom again. Doing doing more of the manual uh, labor of making sure that all of their news was posted to their digital newsroom. And it came from a very simple challenge that came to me in about 2008 of, you know, we had a costly RSS system and I was challenged to find a way to get our news to our reporters and other stakeholders um, in a more cost efficient way. And I said, Hey, there's this, there's this thing called Twitter. Um, (laughs) that, you know, it, it is out there. No one had really heard of it yet right. in the in the upper ranks or yep. at the client um, or really knew quite what it was yet, you know, just suggested, why don't we kill the RSS feed? I'll start, a, you know, a Twitter account for us and I'll start posting our news and our announcements here. I'll tell, wow. you know, the reporters to follow it and that'll be where they can get kind of real time news. Wow. So I launched what was at the time, you know, their very first Twitter handle at T- ATT is still their Twitter handle today. Um, and for a while I, I ran it myself off of, you know, my own computer actually for almost 18 months. Is it like watching your baby grow up now when you look at it, you're like, there's like a grown up, like ATT has like a whole other world. Certainly. Going on and, and not Holy just, cow. you know, from their Twitter, but to, it, it grew very quickly They're to an entire, um, yeah. you know, digital strategy yep. within 18 months. So it was really one of those lucky being in the right place at the right time. But I don't think it's just that. I think it's also bringing a, a, a unique idea mm-hmm. um, uh, to solve a problem in just uh, being curious mm. um, and, um, you know, knowing kind of what was out there, experimenting a lot. I experienced, uh, experimented with all the different platforms at that yep. time. I was curious about them yep. and um, was thinking about how I could apply them to my work and to my, to my client's business. Mm. And so it was a great opportunity Um, and you know, I think, um, what really shifted is, um, there was a day where they actually had a crisis. They had a major outage in Hawaii where pretty much all of Hawaii lost service and, uh, nobody could get through on the phones or on the internet. So nobody knew what was happening. Reporters were reaching out. And even though I had been told by the client never to like engage with somebody 
you know, on Twitter because it was supposed to be kind of a microphone at that time. They didn't really want it to be an engagement channel yet. Um, and, and I did, I actually broke out on Twitter and started talking to reporters and consumers kind of saying, here's what's happening. Let me connect you to somebody. And that in and of itself at that point in time got noticed, um, because it was a brand, you know, kind of showing a human face, breaking out and starting to engage. Um, this was around the time where people like, you know, Frank Elias and were on Comcast care starting to do the same thing. So it was a really exciting time in Twitter because everybody was kind of, um, you know, pioneering it and learning from each other. And it was a time when brands were really getting behind the idea of shifting and, and recognizing that social media wasn't just a broadcast you know, medium, wow. but a way to actually engage directly with consumers. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that really kind of changed everything, I think, for, for me yep. in my career and um, certainly for their business. Um, and it, not just me alone, of course, a whole team of people, you know, recognizing the opportunity and building a strategy. Uh, and I also, you know, brought that back to up to my agency and did seminars. I mean, teaching. the agency changed so much from, you know, all of these PR agencies changed so much. Yeah, they from, all market themselves now as yes. being integrated and right, digital. Totally um, integrated but at that time, digital. I was doing workshops teaching people up and down the ladder yes. how to use, um, you know, social tools. Yes. Soon after that, I was able to recognize things like Pinterest. That yes. was one that I experimented with and could not stop. And yes. I knew there was something there. Love. So brought that, um, you know, to some other clients such yep. as Panera Bread oh, um, yes. and help them start kind of a food based. Amazing. Uh, the Pin It to Win It con- uh, contest, if all you remember the, that. All of the Pin It to Win It. A lot of that stuff. There was a so lot of those. It was a really exciting time. It seems, you know, very, you know, in the past now, but it's when I look at how quickly uh, things have changed in social and digital, it's yep. been amazing to kind of ride through that wave, um, you know, throughout my career and see where it is today, which is a totally different place. Unbelievable. Okay. So after Fleischman. Yes. Where do you go? Uh, so um, I was just on the cusp of, um, you know, hopefully becoming a partner at Fleischman. That was my aspiration. Um, and uh, I was recruited to Anheuser-Busch, um, which uh, both companies are headquartered in St. Louis, yeah. which is where I was located at the time. And, um, you know, when I kind of felt like when they came knocking, I should pay attention. Yeah. Uh, those are brands that, you know, had been in my household my whole life. Yep. My dad was a bud guy Aww. and, um, you know, brought the six pack home every Friday night yep. for him with a pizza for us. Yeah. Um, and it was a brand that, you know, I, I knew well that I loved, um, and that I just felt like I, I couldn't turn away from the opportunity to work on a brand like that and had kind of was ready for that moment. Um, and so I took that leap. Um, but I had been doing so much digital that at the time, several people questioned me and they said, you know, do you really want to step back and kind of write press releases right. because the, the role that I took at the time was marketing communications, but it was basically positioned as a PR role, um, not really a digital forward role. And when I joined AB, um, Budweiser did not have a Twitter account. Right. Um, Anheuser-Busch did not have a Twitter account. So it was kind of going from being on a, on a high-tech brand, working very much in the forefront of the digital space, and then moving into a marketing role that was more focused on you know PR. But I really saw it as an opportunity Again, to get some chops that I didn't have right. and round myself out a bit, but also to bring what I had learned in digital to the role and see if I couldn't, you know, evolve it as well. Was the plan for you in taking it was like, okay, I'm going to learn these skills, but I know eventually I'm going to get the ability to impact this organization digitally? Like, did you have future aspirations, like knowing that you would be able to get there to do that? Um, you know, I don't even think it was so much that, that it was... Um, 
you know, um, it's funny. You know the movie Cast Away with Tom Hanks? Of course. Where he's waiting four years and one day his porta potty pulls up on yes, the shore and, yes, he, and, yes, he, and, he's, yes. and it's arrived? Yes. I've kind of started taking that philosophical approach to my career, um, you know, a while ago where it's like when your porta potty washes up, <laughs> possibly not the most eloquent yes, metaphor, but I when mean, it comes to your shore, hop on. You got to hop on that porta potty. You don't necessarily know where it's going, but when an opportunity knocks, you know, like you gotta that, take it. it was, you know, it's a little bit scary. I knew what my one path was. Be. I didn't know where this path would take me, but I knew it was. An but you saw time. it as the porta potty, and I knew I was I, ready. I love it's something that. to jump on. I love. They that. might not be like being called the porta potty, but it's all in good. It's fun. all good. <laughs> it's all a good thing. I mean, that was a saving grace for Tom Hanks, so it ended up being a good thing. Okay, so next question. Um, so you're there, and within how has your role changed since you've been there? You, I know you've had a move, right? You moved to New York. Yeah. Um, well, um, less than a year into the role, um, Anheuser Busch um, made a really big decision, um, a difficult decision, um, which was to um, move their entire marketing organization from their corporate headquarters in St. Louis to New York City and create uh, a new office here um, called their commercial strategy office. And okay. my role was part of that move. So that involved pretty much everybody that, that worked on the brands yep. um, and a few other kind of support staff and sales. So that was a really big shift. Um, but one, you know, that was important for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, the company is going through a time and the brands are going through a time where all big brands are more or less in some version of decline, right? Yep. There's, there's so yes. much choice. Yes. It's there's much more fragmented. Yes, yes, yes. yes there's yes, so yes. many choices. on, And so it is very difficult for even the most beloved large brand. And yes. I don't care whether you're Nike, Levi's, Budweiser. You bet. You know, you have competition. You bet. And, you know, there's lots of choices. And so, um, you know, for us, we need to constantly reinvent ourselves and continue to make our brands and our business relevant to consumers today. Yeah. Um, and so part of that reinvention was moving here, um, you know, creating an office. We just are, have opened this fantastic office. It's 12 stories. Um, it is totally infused in, a, in, in beer culture with yep. like hops on the wall, you know, growing oh, kind of plants and things so like awesome. that. It's a startup vibe, open work environment where everybody kind of sits together, casual attire. Um, and uh, as part of that, you know, several of um, several people came and lots of people had the opportunity to come. A lot of our leadership all came and, um, you know, and people all kind of across the organization. But it was also an opportunity to, you know, hire new people that represented all new points of view, right? Yep. So one of the things I'm really proud of, um, this was not the case maybe four years ago, but today our marketing department is 51% women. That's amazing. It's extremely um, ethnically diverse. Wow. And just think about that. We're talking about beer. a beer brand. Beer. And the beer marketing being 51% women. Um, we just won a Femvertising Award this year amazing. for some of the work that we have done that has been kind of pro-equality yes. and how we've approached our marketing to women. Um, so it's been a culture change kind of from the inside out. Um, mm. So not just has my job evolved, but I think the company keeps evolving. The brands keep evolving. They're a living thing. And I think everybody that works on these brands, especially something like Budweiser that's been around since 1876, we recognize that we are just kind of like... We're, we have a moment with this brand. The brand will hopefully live well beyond all of us. You know, we're going to come in and touch it for, you know, a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years. But either way, like, you know, we are kind of um, a guardian of that brand from yes. the time we work on it. But it needs to continue to evolve and be here for future generations, especially brands with this kind of 
history and legacy. Uh, so I think we're all mindful of that in the approach of how do we do things in a really kind of savvy, contemporary way that connects with today's consumers, um, but also kind of honoring the the legacy and the, what we think is kind of the iconic status of a lot of these brands. Well, that brings us, of course, perfectly into what I opened the interview with, which is the incredible work that you did around the World Series. So why don't you uh, tell some of our listeners about the tie-in with the Cubs win and the content that you produced. And then we'll talk a little bit about, about that real-time content. But sure. tell me first about that. First of all, thank you, Chicago Cubs, for the win. <laughs> we can't take all the credit. That's right, because it helped make the content. I mean, you would have amazing. had good content no matter what, I think, but yeah. it made it amazing. Yeah, so, you know, part of the approach that we take, you know, my, my team's specialty is really earned media. Yeah. And, um, you know, we really kind of work very closely together, the PR agencies, the digital agencies, and the, those teams all working together all the time. Mm -hmm. in a really truly integrated way. Mm -hmm. um, we are always trying to find ways to insert our brands authentically mm -hmm. into pop culture mm -hmm. and not force it, but find, you know, mm -hmm. the right moment, the right opportunity. Mm -hmm. And we've been lucky that, you know, a brand like Budweiser several times a year can kind of go viral for some for something that either naturally organically yeah. happens, like in the Super Bowl when yeah. Peyton Manning gave right, me a right. shout out to Budweiser unexpectedly, um, or things that we can kind of um, facilitate. Yes. Um, in this case, you know, we knew that this was going to be you know, an Epic Games. And, you know, we participate in the World Series every year. We're the official beer of the MLB. We're a sponsor of, you know, uh, several dozen teams. Um, so we already have kind of a natural integration, but we knew this would be special. Okay. Um, so we started planning a couple weeks out for you know, we just had a couple calls and, and meetings and we said, well, what would we do if they won? And we, of course, had a plan for if the Indians won. We have a plan every year to celebrate any team that wins. And, and this was prior to them even getting to game seven, right? Like prior it was, to game was seven. either way, if they won it in was, four, if they won in it was, five. It was once we knew they were okay. in the World Series. And I should okay. say, this was a 10-day work cycle. Okay. So we, we met to say like, okay, pie in the sky, if they win, what are we going to do? What could we do? And yep. The conversations occurred between, um, you know, VaynerMedia, yep. which is a really strong digital partner we've yep. worked with for many years. They're yep. very cutting edge, um, great partner of Budweiser's. Um, my PR agency, um, 3PM, that's actually kind of a mashup of Weber Shamwick um, and PMK BNC. So oh, entertainment okay. um, and, cool. and, uh, and, uh, and a big uh, PR agency that's that great. kind of have a bespoke agency that works for us. So those partners were in the room along with some folks from the brand marketing team, some folks from our sports marketing team, um, and and myself kind of saying, what could we do? And, um, and what do we have? And our approach is always to try to do something that only Budweiser could do. Yes. I think um, anytime that there's a big cultural moment, whether it's a Super Bowl or a World Series, Everybody at this point, I talk to journalists and they're always weary of like all the different ways that brands try to inauthentically insert themselves in yep. a moment. And a lot yep. of times there's satire involved with the yep. way that a brand kind of goes too far yes, and, yes. and trying to do that. We're always careful not to do that, especially because we're Budweiser and, and we do see ourselves as kind of a more genteel, sophisticated brand. So, um, you know, how can we how can we do this authentically? And, you know, we knew, OK, we are that we are the team sponsor of the Cubs. Mm -hmm. um, we uh, are the official beer of the MLB and we also had this long relationship with Harry Carey's family and estate. He was in an ad in the 80s um, for us and, you know, did several things with Budweiser and was just a very well-known Bud man. Yes. So we knew that he would be kind of the emotional hero yep. um, if they won the World Series. And so we really kind of locked into that concept. 
we did really two things. First is we found our best vintage ad yep. with Harry Carey and, uh, it, uh, and we knew we had to run that. So yep. if they win, we're going to run our vintage ad immediately afterwards. Yep. Easy. Yeah. Um, that did take some work to go back and make sure that we had all the appropriate rights and get all that done. That was easy. Um, but then the second thing was what more could we do? What could be truly epic? Um, so started having conversations with the MLB, with the team, with, um, Carrie's estate and other partners, um, in the network. And, and this is all within a 10 day period. Yes start to finish. And, um, you know, it was daily meetings and, um, very quickly kind of Vayner kind of put together the concept of what the video could be. Our sports marketing team worked with, you know, both the, the Cubs and, you know, the MLB to make sure that we could get into the games, get the footage that we needed, get the logo use in the, in the game footage that we needed, yeah. get into the locker room to get the yeah. footage that we needed. And, um, also working with the hair, the carrier stage. You, you had to find the things he said mm-hmm. that matched up with what were happening. So we had to game. go through all the tapes and find all the things that he had said so that we could patch together the script. Our, the, our concept was what would it be like if he could call of the last course, game of in course. the world series? So that was the concept. The script was created. We had to go out and go back through everything to find that content and put it together. And then additionally, we wanted it to be real game footage and real fans. So we had cameras at every home game in Chicago, um, capturing the footage all along and then also at game seven so that we had real game footage to put together with this historic voiceover. And then, you know, everybody knows the game went into overtime. There was a rain delay. Um, We knew that we would need to turn this the next morning. And so ultimately it was 1 a.m. by the time we had everything we needed. We had had a goal of having it ready, you know, for the morning shows. Um, And so the team stayed up all night long putting it together the MLB stayed up with us all night um, and folks from Carrie's estate approving things because, you know, we were in the locker room, you know, for the celebration and got that footage, needed that approved. So it was a, a process with many, many partners who, you know, are all long-term partners of Budweiser. And we all shared this vision of making this thing happen, worked overnight, put it together in um, under six hours um, and then had it out, you know, to the news media the next morning. We had a press release ready to go, um, you know, and, um, you know, fortunately, it just really resonated. So everyone was delighted to see the vintage spot the night of the game. Everybody was surprised and shocked and I think really emotionally oh, um, it <laughs> you know, was gratified to see the spot and to really fulfill that dream that everybody has, which is, you know, if only Harry could have been here. And we did our best to create that. And at the end of the day, you know, it, it, it was huge. It got billions of earned media impressions. It turned out, uh, we just learned on Friday that it was the most shared piece of brand content on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube ever. So um, it, it really resonated with people, but it's a success to me because it was so authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, there was nothing forced about it. It um, it was so true to the fan experience. It was so true to the brand and our history with the game and, and um, with the team. Um, and it was just, it was completely authentic um, mm-hmm. for Budweiser to do it. Only Budweiser could have pulled that off. I don't quite know how we did. We were very tired, you know, and then we, we rallied for the parade on Friday where the Clydesdales marched in the parade. Um, the right afterwards. So it was a really exciting week. Um, those things don't come along very often in a career. It's um, unbelievable. I was going to ask if it's, it has to be one of the most defining moments of your career, right? I you mean, know, it's like I mean, it's definitely the most defining moment of the last month. <laughs> Certainly. Yes, it's true. When I ask you this, I recognize, of course, the recency effect of this. And you've had a lot of other really amazing, I mean, starting the AT&T account well, pretty big. But it's so. funny, even this year, you know, this summer, um, when we launched the Budweiser America bottle, right. those also you know, we're oh, completely viral and yes. we're everywhere, all based on, you know, one media story that we seeded. It was 100% earned. We put no paid behind oh. that. 
no advertising, 100% earned. Um, so that was another time that that happened. And Amazing. of course, the Super Bowl, Peyton Manning, thing, yes. that also exploded. So and Bud Light you had with the um, Lady, with Gaga. Lady Gaga. Yeah, so Tell them just, about Lady Gaga. We also just had an activation um, with Bud Light with Lady Gaga where we did um, you know, a dive bar tour with her. Oh. So um, she's, you know, fortunately for us, two things. One, she's really topical right yeah. now. She has a new album, yeah. Joanne, um, which is a stripped down ver- uh, album. It's kind of based on her, the beginnings of her career. She's when also she, the best. She I is, mean, she's the phenomenal. Best. She's the best. But, you know, so it's it's really her going back to her authentic yes, roots. And yes. Joanne is her middle name. It's yes. named after her yes. aunt that died. Um, but also, she loves Bud Light. Um, and she came up drinking Bud Light in the dive bars after she performed. Amazing. And so she really had an authentic connection to the brand. Amazing. And those two things together, you know, anybody can buy a celebrity to do something for you. Um, it's rare to find... Uh, somebody that really wants to, you know, she kind of came to us initially wanting to work together and we came up with this together. So it was a collaboration with the artist. It was a dive bar tour that allowed her to go back to her roots. And she went back to three dive bars in LA, New York and Nashville, where she got her start, um, played surprise shows for fans. We did Facebook live streaming um, of those. So there were no cameras inside except for a few media cameras. So the only way to see it was the Facebook live, which was available on Bud Light's Facebook page. Yep. The first one that we did was um, something like 1.8 billion views that night. And if it would have been, we lined it up with Nielsen, like if it would have been on TV, it would have been the fourth most watched television program of the day. So for our Facebook Live, really, really high engagement. And again, um, in terms of earned impressions, we received more than we did for a Super Bowl ad. So you think about what the investment is in a Super Bowl ad compared to a program like this. Unbelievable. It's phenomenal. So again, a campaign that, you know, just connected in all the right ways felt authentic, um, you know, and, you know, just kind of had everything going for it. Amazing. And what I hear from you in terms of theme is really just the overall authenticity of the message tying to the real time content. You've talked about that in a, in a couple places. I mean, thinking that Lady Gaga authentically loves Bud Light, mm-hmm. um, the tie between Budweiser and this Cubs win was so authentic. Do you think that that's kind of the key to the real time content and that kind of stuff that's out there? It, it definitely is, but you know, and everybody hates the word authentic. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's really overused. I think it's just about, you know, um, does it make sense? People want something that feels true, right? It has to feel true. They don't want to feel marketed to, or if they're recognizing they're being marketed to, they want to do it in a way that delivers some kind of benefit to them. So, um, where you're talking about them and delivering something to them and not just talking about you, find a way to insert yourself in it in a way that makes sense. Yep. Um, and Hey, we don't, we don't, hit every ball out of the park. We certainly have had, you know, some campaigns that resonate more than others because we have so many brands and they happen to be, you know, brands that do a lot of marketing. You know, these types of opportunities come up a lot in a year. It's funny because my first year at AB, you know, I thought that I had had a lot of things happen in my career and I felt like in one year I had more things in one year than I had had in in 10 years of experience in terms of product launches, big campaigns. You know, I'm coming up on my fifth Super Bowl. And when Ah. we do the Super Bowl, we don't just do like an ad. Yeah, you don't do it little. We have like three to five ads in a Super Bowl, not to mention activations that basically go on for six weeks and, you know, the events that we throw at the actual Super Bowl. So everything we do, I feel like can be um, very big and very impactful. And our challenge is always like, how can we best connect with the consumer in a way that, you know, that, that delivers something they want? What an amazing career. Okay, one last question before I have people know where to follow you. What would you have done if the Indians won? 
if the Indians won, we would have done what we always do, which is, you know, we already had, um, you know, a, a piece of digital content that we would have delivered celebrating them. Yeah. We have a beer celebration in the locker room for every team that wins. Yeah. And we send our Clydesdale. So it would have been like normal. normal. It would have been normal. I normal. Mean, we knew that the Cubs winning was a, a long shot. And, you know, um, at the beginning of the week, the Indians were up by three. And I was so bummed because I was like, we have this great plan. We've been shooting and we're not going to be able to use it. Oh, and then my God. It turned so quickly. Um, and so the excitement of the team ah! was turning as we started to think, is this really going to happen? It's my um, favorite story in in the history of social ladies. I am calling it. <laughs> this is my number one because it's so much about so many things. It's about great real-time content. It's about luck. It's about sports. It's about heart. It's about working all night. It's yeah. so many things. And great partners too. Oh, I mean, I think it was partners. really about great partners uh, in between kind of the the PR and digital uh, yeah, and the, people. Yeah, and the agencies and the, working in, together. In brand, everybody working and, together uh, to come up with the, be- the best idea for the fan. Amazing, amazing. Okay, Lisa, if people want to follow you or connect with you, sure. where should they go? Where's the best place? You know, I make it really easy. I'm Lisa Weezer on Twitter and on LinkedIn. So those are the best two Yay. places to find me. I'm a few other places, but those are more pictures of my three sons. Yay. <laughs> well, awesome. And I'm so happy to have you on the show. You're one fabulous social lady. Thank you so much. So are you. Yay. You've been listening to All the Social Ladies with Carrie Kerfin, CEO of Likeable Media. You can follow Carrie on Twitter at Carrie Kerfin. To get current social media insights and great tips, Sign up for Carrie's weekly newsletter by emailing newsletter at likeable.com. This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com.